We're going to be quick this morning. Romans chapter 11. I mentioned to somebody before the service this morning that I was only going to preach for 10 minutes and they laughed at me. And now you're all laughing at me. It's Actually, I have 12 minutes until 12. We'll see how close I can come. Romans chapter 11. Uh, we have been in a series in the book of Romans. We are concluding the second major division in Romans, as you know. Verse chapters 1 through 8 of the first division. It's entirely doctrinal. Chapters 9 through 11. He is uh, taking kind of a little parenthesis there and talking about Israel. And we're going to finish that up this morning uh, with uh, just a brief glance at chapter 11. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Let's just read the first few verses of Romans chapter 11. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have attained it. And the rest were blinded. Jump down to verse 29. This is the verse I want to concentrate on. Verse 29, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Pray with me. Father, we're so thankful for the privilege now. We've heard good music today. Uh, we've spent some time in prayer for our brothers and sisters around the world. We've done several things here today. But Lord, now I pray you'd calm our hearts and minds. And may we, Lord, look at your word and know that it is your word. Help me to keep within the time constraint allotted. And help me, Lord, today uh, to preach just what you want preached. May I say the things I ought to, not say anything I ought not. And just bless it to our hearts. Lord, if there are those here today who need to hear this, help them to hear it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have not been dealing in any great detail with chapters 9 through 11 because of the fact that they primarily have to do with Israel and uh, not so much with us. And we've been making just a brief explanation of what Paul is describing there and then drawing some application. And we're going to do that again this morning with this. As we've seen in these, in these three chapters, uh, they, they come right after Paul has built this tremendous case describing the gospel in chapters 1 through 8. And, uh, they, and now he, he comes to this uh, particular group and asks, how does that apply? How does it apply to them, the Jews, the children of Israel? When Paul came to his grand conclusion in chapter 8, he wrapped up that explanation of the truth that the just shall live by faith. He concluded that once having trusted in Christ with such saving faith, there's never again any condemnation for the believing and justified Christian. We saw that in chapter 8 and verse number 1. And he wasn't even done then with the implications of the gospel, for he further noted that there is, uh, there is no separation. We saw that at the end of chapter 8, chapters, uh, chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. And now we saw for the last couple of weeks that he, he looks at that and he asks this question, what does this mean to the Jews? What does it mean to them? What does it mean because of the fact that they appear to have wholesale rejected the gospel? We might ask, Paul, do you believe that God is done with his people? And he asks that question here. And of course the answer is no. 
And his reasoning for the answer being no is that verse that I said I wanted to concentrate on, verse number 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I want us to notice this morning that our God is a promise-keeping God. A promise-keeping God. Let's, let's briefly notice what he says about Israel, but then I want us to draw it to ourselves. And I want us to think about how that applies to us. Paul asks the question, then I say, then has God cast away his people in verse number one? And the answer is no. Is God done with the Jews? And his answer is certainly not. Let's notice two reasons why he says that. He says, number one, not all Israel is lost. That's what he says in the first few verses of this chapter that we read. Not all Israel is lost. There is always a remnant. And that's a wonderful word in your Bibles. There is always a remnant. God has always had and always has had a a subset of people that he dealt with. Individuals, the remnant who believe. It's true of Israel then. It's true of Israel now. And he says there are two examples here that prove his point. He said, first of all, look at me. Paul. He says, look at me. I'm saved. I read one source as I was studying for this that said if there's one Jew that was ever saved, then you cannot say God was done with Israel. And that's, that's basically true. But Paul said, I'm, I'm one. I'm certainly an Israelite. And I was saved. But we could go beyond that. What about all the other apostles? What about the church in Jerusalem? The huge, monstrous church in Jerusalem that was entirely Jewish in its makeup. And so he says, that's not the case. There is, there is a remnant. I'm an example. And he goes on and he talks about God's word to Elijah here. You remember that story when Elijah had gone and sat down under a juniper tree because nasty old Jezebel had decided she was going to kill him. And he was all depressed. And he said, Lord, I'm the only one left. He said, why don't you just kill me? And God said, no, I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. There's a remnant that is still there. There are believers. There are believers, Elijah. And so Paul gives both of these examples and and answers the question, uh, has God done with his people? No, not all Israel is lost. But then he says another thing. He says, not forever is Israel lost. We didn't read those, those verses. If you start reading there in the second part of the chapter, in chapter or verses 11 through 27, you see him making the case that the rejection of Israel is temporary. Not forever will the nation of Israel be lost. He says in verse number 25 that they've been temporarily set aside so the Gentiles can hear and be saved. He says, I don't desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I'm a Gentile. And so I, in a way, can say, praise God for that. Praise God for the fact that God has, in his sovereignty, decided to deal with us. Uh, So he set them aside temporarily. But notice the very next verses. He says, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. If you attended Brother Carl's good teaching on Revelation, you know, he already dealt with this a lot. He talked about how God has a future plan for Israel and all that. And so I'm not going to spend any time on that today. But just let's just state it, as Paul did here. Not forever is Israel lost. God is not done with them. His promises to them will be fulfilled. So there's the two major things that Paul says, and we'll, we'll drop that and we'll move on. I want to make application. Not all Israel is lost. And not forever is Israel as a whole lost. God will deal with his promises. And here's the application. The application is our God is a promise-keeping God. Look at that verse. What a wonderful verse that is. Verse number 29. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. There is a ministry called Promise Keepers. Most of you have probably heard of Promise Keepers. 
We have at least one person in this room who has owes his salvation, at least in part, to that men's ministry, which teaches men to keep their promises because they serve a promise-keeping God. And I think perhaps the greatest application we can make from chapter 11 is this. Our God is a promise-keeper. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. I've read this chapter over and over trying to figure out what the world I'm going to preach out of it. And I can't get past that part. I can't get past that verse. When I think about how it applies to me, God's promises to me are irrevocable. You know, if he abandoned Israel, and this is Paul's argument, if he abandoned Israel, the opposite would be true. But Paul makes it clear he has not. He never will. His promises are still in effect. I wonder, when's the last time you picked up your Bible and looked at it and just looked for the promises of God that are in there and said, thank God for those promises? When's the last time you thought about our promise-keeping God and the promises that He makes to you and me? Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse number 4, that He has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. I have four minutes left. Let me share with you some of the promises that I find touching to my heart. In no particular order, let me just share a few promises with you. And let us rejoice in our promise-keeping God this morning. You know, my Bible tells me He has promised us a future. A future. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 11. Since I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. No matter the struggles, no matter the pain, no matter the questions or trials or sicknesses or seemingly hopeless situations of the present, our promise-keeping God has promised us a future. He has promised that that future is one of rest and peace. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11 verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Are you tired, Christian? Are you weary? Do you, do you long for the rest for your soul? Our promise-keeping God says that's in our future. He has promised strength for the weak. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah chapter 40. He has promised that He will ever hear us. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. He has promised that He will forever love us. The Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He has promised that He will fix everything that is broken. Then He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Revelation. He has promised that He will always sustain us, that there is endless supply for our need. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He has promised that one day perfect safety will replace the insecurity and fear of today. That one day the evil that seems to prevail will be dealt with and it will be gone. Whoever listens to me, He said, will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. He has promised that there will be peace. And oh, don't you long for peace. Praise God. I'm so weary for the opposite. Peace. John chapter 14 and verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. He has promised salvation. Eternal salvation. Everlasting life. For all who will but believe in the Lord Jesus. That if you will but confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. 
He has said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has promised that He will never leave us. I am with you always, He said, even to the end of the age. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has promised. He's a promise-keeping God. And the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Remember what the songwriter said? Standing on the promises. I cannot fall. May we remember that today. And I'm going to stop right there. And I'm going to encourage all of you to look at the clock. And you'll see that I did that in 11 minutes. I don't want to hear any more laughter. Worked up a sweat doing it too. Seriously. Our God is a promise-keeping God. And I hope today, if you know Him as Savior, that you'll think about that and praise God for it today. Some of the songs that were sung today were right along that line and, uh, and, and mentioned that truth. But if you're here today and you don't know that promise-keeping God, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you have never trusted Him. It's a promise, my friend, if you but will. If you will but call upon the name of the Lord. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. You will have eternal life and it cannot ever be taken away. And so I encourage you today, if you have not yet done that, do it. If you have done, praise God for it.